The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Turn in your scriptures, please, to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, beginning at verse 14, reading through to chapter 7, verse 13. Exodus 6, verse 14, through to chapter 7, verse 13. Let's give our attention to God's word. These are the heads of the fathers' houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of, these are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jashin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei, by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram. Itzar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Malai, and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Itzar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab, and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eliezer, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses... And this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, See. I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. 
Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Moses, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went, Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Lord, how excellent you are, how excellent is your word, how great your power. And now, Lord, we pray by that almighty power, work in us. Give me words to speak, almighty God, and give us all ears to hear what your spirit has to say. May Christ be exalted and may our hearts be encouraged and strengthened. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I want us to think of the question, how is salvation represented to us in Scripture? Now, there's many, many answers to this, but of course the central answer is Christ. He is the central answer to that question, how is salvation Represented, But who is Christ? Who is Jesus? What offices do, does he hold? Well, we know that our Lord Jesus holds a threefold office. He is the great prophet, the great high priest, and he is the great king of his people. We've confessed that uh, those very truths tonight in our affirmation of faith. Christ, in his office of prophet, declares the will of God for our salvation. What does he declare? declare? Declare he declares himself, Christ himself. In his priesthood, he serves as the great mediator between God and man. And in his kingship, he conquers and rules all his and our enemies. How then do we see Christ as prophet, priest, and king? Well, we see it, first of all, here as Moses represented to us as a prophet, a priest, and a king. Moses, in a typological way, that means what we see of Moses will shed a light upon the Lord Jesus Christ thousands of years later. Moses, in a typological sense, fulfills those same offices of prophet, of priest, and of king. And thus God, at the time was representing Christ to the children of Israel through Moses, the mediator of the Old Covenant. 
And now as we, New Covenant Christians, read of this section, speaking of Moses, this Moses, this Aaron, we again will be drawn unto the Savior through the offices of prophet, of priest, and of king. It's a very simple outline tonight. Moses the prophet, Moses the priest, Moses the king. Of course, we're not going to stop at Moses by any means. We'll rush forward, as it were, to see our Savior also pictured for us as he ministers salvation for his people. So this is not some abstract theological discussion on the threefold office of Moses or of Christ. This is how salvation itself comes to God's people, Christ as prophet, as priest, and as king. Let's look at Moses then, first of all, as the prophet, as he's represented as such in the passage before us and in the passages round about our text this night. As we've moved into Exodus 5 and 6, uh, one of the themes that we pick up on is a focus upon identity, the identity of the main characters of the narrative in Exodus. We're reintroduced, first of all, chapter 5, verse 1, to Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh is the enemy. He is the seed of the serpent. He is working on behalf of Satan. He is, in that sense, an antichrist. But then we're introduced also to the Lord, Yahweh. And the passages are full of the Lord's self-declaration about who he is and what he's going to do. Even spoken to Pharaoh. And yet what does Pharaoh say? Chapter 5, verse 2. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? See, identity is an issue. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. We saw what the Lord says about who he is and about Egypt's knowledge of him. We read there in chapter 7, verse 5, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Who is the Lord? They will know that I am the Lord. Now, caught in between the seed of Satan, Pharaoh, and the Lord himself, who do we find? We find Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron. The question is raised in this passage, who are Moses and Aaron? Did you notice chapter 6, verse 26? These are the Moses and Aaron. Verse 27, this Moses and this Aaron. Who are they? These are Moses and Aaron. The text is telling us who Moses and Aaron are. We'll notice that as the text unfolds, certainly back in chapter 5, that this Moses and Aaron find themselves not only at odds with Pharaoh himself, but with the people of God. Chapter 5, verse 21. This Moses, this Aaron, the people invoke a curse upon them involving the Lord's name. The Lord look on you and judge. This is the people against Moses. The Lord look on you and judge. Because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. This Moses and this Aaron rejected by the people. But the Holy Spirit has answers for us in this section 5, 6, 7 and following. And it answers the question, who are this Moses 
and this Aaron? Who is the Lord and who are his servants, Moses and Aaron? Who are they indeed? Moses, we can say, first of all, has been called to be a prophet of God. Moses has been called to be a prophet of God. The surrounding texts, including our own text tonight, tell us this very, very clearly. Chapter 3, verse 13, Moses' commission. Uh, Moses says, if I come to the people in Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moses is to declare the oracles of God to the children of God for salvation and to Pharaoh for judgment. Say this to the children of Israel. Chapter 4, verse 12, God says, I will put my words in your mouth. You will fulfill the office of prophet and I myself, the almighty God, will speak through you. Chapter 5, verse 1, Moses says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. That's the, what they call the prophetic formula in Scripture. Thus saith the Lord. It's what the prophets said when they're about to reveal something from God. And then we get into chapter 6, verse 28. Again, Moses is having more doubts I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And God says, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. You shall speak all that I command you. And we read at the end of that section, that's precisely what Moses and Aaron did. They spoke all that God had commanded them. It ought to be very clear to us that Uh, Moses here is functioning as a great prophet of God, the mouthpiece of God. Again, to Pharaoh, a mouthpiece of judgment, to the children of Israel, a mouthpiece of salvation. And really, that's what prophetic utterances principally consist of in Scripture. There is the call to holy living and repentance the promise of salvation, and the assurance of judgment, even to the people of God, if they do not listen to the prophet of God. Moses goes down to Egypt. He tells Pharaoh that the Lord had demands that he let people go, and what does the enemy of God do? He suppresses the covenant people even more. Notice this. When Moses performs his function as prophet faithfully, two regrettable responses are given. Pharaoh proudly mocks God, who is the Lord? I do not know the Lord and I will not listen to him. And second, the people of God reject their prophet. The people of God reject their prophet. The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us a stink we're reminded are we not this is the lot of prophets right throughout scripture 
when the prophet speaks his words, the word of God, his enemies hate him. The people of God often reject him. It's interesting, is it not, that Pastor Rockin mentioned last week or the week before, perhaps, that Moses, before he died, prophesied in Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15 that another prophet would come. Deuteronomy 18:15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to him you shall listen. And when God operates and works in the hearts of his children, most assuredly his children hear the voice of Christ. But we would even have to say this, that our Lord's ministry consisted of the same responses as Moses' ministry and every other prophet in between them. That even the great prophet of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, was rejected and mocked, not just by the enemy, but by his own people. This is true of God's word whenever it is spoken, from a pulpit or in a living room over a coffee between friends. The declaration of the word of God, the preaching of the word of God, always produces a variety of reactions. But I want to say, dear friends, for the children of God, it remains one of the principal ways by which God brings salvation to his people. And I don't mean that the, the preaching of the word is a substitute for Christ, because the preaching of the word, if it's done faithfully, or the telling forth of the word, is about Christ. It's about Christ. Paul says in Romans 10, how shall they call on him whom they have not heard? How will they believe on him whom they have not heard? The preaching of the word, the prophetic office from Moses to Christ beyond, and even now the declaration of the word between friends, is a powerful means by which the Holy Spirit brings salvation to the people of God. That's why, dear friends, for us, there is such urgency, such urgency that the people of God hear the word of God and know the word of God. When the word of God is faithfully spoken, Christ as prophet is speaking. Christ as prophet is speaking the greater prophet than Moses he himself is speaking that's to say dear friends in this covenant community each of us in our different callings and settings and circumstance different family circumstances different individual circumstances we must be people who receive the prophetic office of Christ as mediated through the word we must be those kinds of people. We just must. Because to reject the word is to reject Christ as prophet. We must raise our children to be children of the word. You can't just leave it to chance. 
You can't just hope they'll get enough on Sundays. We ourselves can't just leave it to Sundays. We must be people of the word. We must be those who receive Christ on his terms as we heard this morning. He is the great prophet of God who reveals to us the will of God for our salvation. The will of God for our salvation is Jesus Christ. And we must receive him. And we must receive his word. That's how Christ ministers and outworks our salvation almost as it were on a daily basis preserving us keeping us building us up in grace and in holiness through his office as as prophet by giving us the word moses was indeed a great prophet but christ is far greater a prophet But Moses is not just a prophet in the narrative before us, speaking the will of God to the people of God. He is also a priest, a priest. And that's really the point of our text, beginning at verse 14. That's really the point of the genealogy with all those obscure names. But really, you'll notice the terminology starts with the sons of Israel, but terminates in the sons of Levi. It's according to Levi's line that Aaron and then Moses are born. Who are this Moses and Aaron of verse 27? The simple answer is they're Levites. They are Levites. They belong to the priestly tribe. In fact, we can speak of Aaron as being the prototype, the first of his kind within the Levitical order. Aaron, not Moses, by the way, Aaron, the oldest, and his sons after him, they are of the priestly tribe. What do priests do? Well, priests mediate between God and man. The priest represents God to man and represents man to God in matters of sin, salvation, and worship. A priest is a mediator between God and man in matters of sin, salvation, and worship. And the text, chapter 6, verse 18, and chapter 6, verse 20, tells us something about Moses and Aaron's function as priests. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel, verse 20, Amram, the son of Levi, took as his wife, Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. So we have there the clear lineage of Aaron and Moses. They're the sons of Kohath. They're of the clan of the Kohathites. We read in Numbers 3.27 about the clan of the Kohathites and their particular duties in the tabernacle. Uh, The Kohathites were uh, used in the service of carrying and guarding all the furniture of the tabernacle, including the Ark of the Covenant. That's how important this clan was. They were used in the transportation and guarding of all the paraphernalia associated with tabernacle worship and temple worship, including the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron is the first, the prototype, 
formally so, of the Levitical priesthood and his particular clan would take care of the items of the temple and tabernacle. Lineage, from the genealogy, lineage clearly shows us that there is a priestly line and idea being outworked through the life of Moses and Aaron. But notice it is Aaron who historically then will be the first of the Levitical priests, not Moses. Moses was not a Levitical priest, though he was of the line. He was not ordained to such, but nonetheless, Moses' priestly office, in a very real sense, supersedes that even of Aaron. Aaron, the great high priest of the nation of Israel, we see Moses' priesthood. I don't know of what order of priesthood he was. I called Pastor Rockin this afternoon to see if he knew. He didn't know either, so we're in the dark. But I want to say to you, friends, that Moses' priesthood, and we'll see this replicated in, in his prophetic office and his kingly office, supersedes that of the Levitical priesthood. Yes, he's of the Levitical line, but not a Levitical priest. I want to say to you, friends, that Moses' priesthood is most closely aligned with the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ. How is that? Not a Levite. Not ordained, he was a Levite, but not ordained to the Levitical priesthood. We see Moses acting as the single priest on behalf of of the nation. How does he do it? Well, he regularly represented the people to God. Think of the history of God's people, particularly the golden calf, particularly the instant after that where he's pleading, interceding on behalf of the people to God that God would not forget his promises, that God would not blot them out because of their wickedness. Yes, we see him functioning very clearly in a priestly setting, in his representation of the people to God. But we also see him, in a priestly sense, representing God to the people. How do we see that? Well, in his great act as the mediator of the Old Covenant. Who is it that ascends onto the mountain of Sinai when God is making the Old Covenant? There's one person and one alone. It's Moses. And Moses comes down with a word from the Lord, speaking to the people. And it's Moses who goes onto the mountain when the elders are afar off to sacrifice Exodus 24 so that the covenant can be ratified in blood. Very, very clearly, friends, we see Moses here of a different order to the Levitical priest. In fact, he is priest to the priests of the Aaronic order. Moses, the great mediator of God, the great priest of God. It's critical to understand Moses' role on behalf of God and behalf of the people in the Old Covenant. Without Moses, the Old Covenant isn't made. Now, God could have raised up another mediator, and he would have, but without Moses, the Old Covenant is not made. Because God appointed Moses to mediate between him and and the people. 
And that reminds us, does it not, of what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 3. There's a contrast there between Moses and the Lord Jesus Christ, and particularly with respect to the office of priest. Chapter 3, verse 1 of Hebrews, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. High priest. That's the terms of reference. Verse 3, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. There's the point of comparison again. As great as Moses was, Jesus is of greater glory than Moses in his priesthood. Why? The answer is in verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. One was a servant in the house. The other was a son over the house and that alone is reason for us to say christ is worthy of more honor but isn't it interesting that one was a servant the other was a son what's the point of the writer of the hebrews saying that the mediator of the new covenant jesus christ was mediator as a son Well, the point is there in verse 6 again. Jesus as a son does this. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast. Christ is faithful over the house, and we are his house. The writer is saying not only is Christ a greater high priest than Moses, not only did he offer up better sacrifices than Moses, not only is a better mediator than Moses, not only did he give us his perfect spotless righteousness which Moses could not do, but Christ is the son over the house and he is building the people of God into the living house of God think on this friends by the priesthood of christ not only may we tonight this very moment think on this only may we enter the holy of holies but friends we are the holy of holies we are the house of of God. Moses could never do that because he was a servant in that house. But the son has said, I will build a house for the Lord, just like David and Solomon said. But this is a house of living stones, of Christians throughout the world, throughout all ages. We are the holy of holies. And it is here, as it were, the Shekinah glory cloud of God is present now. God with us. Oh, that's the betterness of Jesus Christ, is it not, as a great high priest? Do you see how Christ is ministering salvation to us even now? He has built this people 
and every true church throughout the world, he has built those people into the eternal house of God. Behold, says John in Revelation, the dwelling place of God is with men, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Friends, the ministry of Christ, the great high priest, is to do what? It's to build this church. Right now, Christ is ministering as the great high priest, building us all together. That's why it's so vital to be here, to receive this ministry of Christ, the great priest, working in your heart and my heart, binding us together in love and in union. Friends, this is the church the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest organization, if we can call it that, that there ever has been, the house of the living God. Here, Christ, by his priesthood, we're told here, is building presently the house of God. That we are made acceptable by this one who once offered up for himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. He's working right now in all our hearts. Thanks be to God. But not only is he a great priest, he's also a great king. Moses the king as well. You're thinking Moses was never anointed to be king. Well, He was never anointed to be a priest either, but he clearly was. Moses is the king. One interesting fact in the Old Covenant, we never see a king legitimately take the role of priest or prophet. It's not not allowed, forbidden. Forbidden. But we see it in Moses. We do see it in Moses. What does a king do? Well, a king restrains people, his own people, He rules, he defends, he conquers enemies. It's the work to which Moses is called, is it not, as the great redeemer of the covenant people. We've already seen it in the text, but we see it again, chapter 7, verse 1. Moses says, how will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Wow. I have made you like God. Not like a God, a lesser God. God is saying to Moses, I'm right with you. You shall be to Pharaoh what I am to you. He's going to go down to, Fe- he's going to, go down to Egypt. He's going to strike Egypt by the power of God, of course with all these terrible plagues, and then he's going to lead the covenant people out into their own country. Well, he doesn't quite make it, Moses, does he? Doesn't quite get all the way home. But he's a king nonetheless. Pharaoh, in all his might, with all his armies, and all his pride, is as nothing before the godlike Moses, the great king of his people. And you'll notice I said earlier that Me- uh, Moses' priesthood kind of supersedes the ordinary priesthood. Well, so does his kingship. 
Because yes, we said that Moses is most definitely called to be a prophet. But what do we read here? You will be like God to Pharaoh and Aaron shall be your prophet. Isn't that staggering? That the great prophet of God, Moses, himself had a prophet. Because here he is elevated to the role of king and redeemer, physically speaking, of his people. And God, through his king figure, Moses, is going to multiply wonderful signs in Egypt. We're going to see it, first of all, with the staff of Aaron and the staffs of the, uh, uh, the magicians in Egypt. How did their staffs turn into snakes? By the power of Satan. Make no mistake, that's what's going on here. Satanic power vying for control with the great God but the kingly aspect of it is seen in what? In Aaron's staff, swallowing up those other staffs. And yet when we think of Moses as king and the kingly office, we're never to look to him alone. Because behind Moses is the covenant God. Chapter 7 verse 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land. Pharaoh will not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. That I am the Lord. Behind Moses is the covenant-keeping God. And so much so would he reveal himself through acts of judgment that the Pharaoh who said, Who is the Lord? will know precisely who the Lord is. And all the Egyptians with him. Moses' kingship, as great as it was, is a mediated kingship, isn't it? It's a temporary, it's not inherently his, and ultimately it's curtailed by his death. But the kingship of the Lord, of Jesus Christ, dear friends, is world without end. World without end. Moses died, but yes, Christ died, but even in our Savior's death, He remained the eternal king. Indeed, it was by his sovereign power and his sovereign right that those who nailed him to the cross were able to take breath by the kingship of Christ. Friends, the kingship of Moses was powerful, accompanied by many signs and wonders, yet... There was the frailty of his humanity. Christ Jesus, also truly man and truly God, as great as Moses' kingship was, Moses never rose from the grave. King Jesus did. The kingship of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, is free from all human frailties, though he was fully man. I want to say to you, dear friends, there's no king, there's no sovereign like the Lord Jesus Christ. His rule is perfect. 
His conduct is altogether righteous. His judgments altogether right. His decrees are perfectly wise. His daily rule in your life is unimpeachable. There is no sovereign or king who loves his subjects like the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, so great is his love. Not only did he lay down his life, but he laid down his life for his friends. And called us not just to be subjects and citizens of a kingdom where he rules far off. He has made us brothers and sisters. And scripture says, listen to this, joint heirs of eternity with Christ himself. That's my king. That's our king. Dear friend, if you're not in Christ today... If you don't love him, you're not following him by faith and walking in his paths, your end is the end of Pharaoh. Make no mistake. That's your end. It doesn't have to be that way. The way to friendship with Christ, the way to be a member of his family, the way to be part of the household of God is this day to repent of your sins your foolishness, your pride, your self-reliance, and to put your faith in Jesus Christ and none other. It's that easy. It's that easy. And Christ as prophet, priest, and king calls you to that very act of repentance and faith. But to you, dear friends of Jesus, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus, the wonderful prophet who reveals to us the will of God for our salvation, that wonderful great high priest who gave himself up as an offering for our sins, that wise and almighty king who has subdued us under himself and restrains and conquers all his and our enemies. He has brought us unto himself in these three offices. He is ministering them even now. And so I say, friends, enjoy. Enjoy the eternal king and the eternal kingdom forever. Let's pray. We bless you and magnify you, almighty God. Lord Christ, in all your glory, in your wonderful offices, as you minister salvation, grace, and preservation unto us now. Lord, if there be any here who have turned a deaf ear to your word this night, we pray by your sovereign power and right, humble their hearts and turn them unto yourself. And to your children, Lord, who love you and desire you, imperfectly and struggle and fail each day lord we pray write these truths upon all our hearts that we might rejoice in you and your great goodness to us for we pray in jesus name amen